Our loving Father, we thank you again. We humble ourselves before you as we come to worship tonight. We have come before you, our loving God, our Father, in whom there is no guile, in whom there is no variableness, in whom there is no shadows of turning. Oh, we thank you because your love, your love, your love compared us, your mercy found us. And because of you, we are here today. Salvation is of you, our God. We thank you for allowing us to come. Holidays are from our Sunday meeting have kept us in many ways that our mouth cannot even express. But we've come worshiping, we've come needing you. We know of our own sinfulness. We know of our own lasciviousness. We know of our own lewdness. We know of our own lust. We know of our lostness. We know of our fight with indwelling sin. But we come. We come hoping, we come believing that there is a fountain filled with blood. So we come to the fountain that's drawn from Emmanuel's vein. We plunge before. We are plunging now. We will plunge till the day we see you face to face. Cause that the cleansing power that is in the preached word will come upon us even as we listen to you. That we may leave this door, leave this house through this door, uh, happy, joyful, refreshed, enlightened, changed, uh, to be all that you want us to be as veritable instruments in your hand. We pray this with thanksgiving now. Grant understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Please return to your seats and turn uh, in your 1689 to chapter 10. Last week, Brother Elias uh, yeah, took us to paragraph one. I hope I'm fine. What the paragraph one we did. I listened to some extent, and then uh, let me read paragraph one of 1689, chapter 10, and then I'll ask if there's any questions or clarifications that you want us to get back onto before we continue. Um, yeah, you have... Uh, you can ask questions online. If there's anything you want, a kind of by way of clarification, please let us know. Paragraph one, paragraph one of chapter ten, on the issue of uh, effectual calling. What is the opposite of the, of the word effectual? Smart. The word effectual. What is the opposite, or what is the antonyms of the word effectual? Nothing is in your head right now. Daniel, don't, don't help him. Just, just say, what is, what is effectual? What is the word effectual? There's a microphone around that area. Effectual means Something that has effect. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? What's the opposite of effectual? Yes. Uneffectual. Uneffectual. Yeah. The word effectual is drawn from the word effective. Isn't it? Isn't it? If something is effective, it means what? 
smart. If something is effective, it means it, um, it achieves the end it was intended for. Something, is, something effective is achieving the ends that uh, was intended for. I mean, it's, it has, the, it's potent, it's powerful, and it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Then the opposite of the word effectual means lack of potency, lack of virility, using big words now. Lack of, give me simple antonyms of, of if, if something is not effective, give me lists. Unproductive, yes, if I can lack, lack of ability, yes. Unproductive, lack of ability. That all? Huh? Fail, like, like Nepalite. Unsuccessful. Yes, useless. Yes. When, when there's this English phrase uh, that's, uh, that is, is, I think it's an English uh, common uh, uh, phrase, not phrase, uh, is it idioms? When some, this is, and actually, I heard the first time I was with an older lady and said, and said NHS, NHS, NHS is fit for, it's fit for no purpose. It's not fit for purpose, or it's fit for no purpose, yeah? It means something is designed to do a particular job. Like, for example, there's an, if Nigeria does come to a point where you have 911, and then you die 911, it's supposed, it's supposed to respond, isn't it? And within five, 10 minutes, 911 is supposed to be there. Now, if you now die 911, and it's ringing, oh, it's ringing, boom, 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 for a whole time, and then your credit is even going, if it was meant to be free told anyway, and then your MTN is minusing things from your phone and all that. And finally, maybe someone picked the name and said, okay, where are you? Say, I'm robbers are in my house. And they start asking you, how many are there? What type of guns are they carrying? Are you alone? And all that question. Then they will never even show up. It's fit for no purpose. Or there's fire incidents. You call 911 or a fire service. And then first, and then they appear in your house. They say, sorry, we don't have water. We want to go and fetch a... I don't know if you have heard that story before. Yeah, not... Have you ever seen that? You know, fire service come to a burning house and say, we are going to fetch water from this stream. Or the water we came with is just small. That's the one we use left over. They just... And then before they came back, the house already raised to the ground. And then I see them now getting busy down to quench <laughs> the fire that. Uh, yeah, so it's not effective. It's not potent. So when it comes to God, those antonyms cannot be mentioned with God in any sense and breath. If God is doing something, if the Almighty God set out to do something, that plan is effectual. It will achieve its purpose. It will achieve its ends. I know some of you that are crazy now, your mind is in Genesis now. 
Where did the, the first family, the first, where did Adam fell? Well, that's not, the, that's not the point. Okay. The point is, when God calls, that call is effective. If God calls out to smart, that call will be effective. It's a factual calling. I hope Eliezer did this definition last week. Yes, I overheard him a bit. I know some of you are hearing, but you're not hearing. So if God calls, that calling is effective. It's effectual. Let me read that first paragraph, and then if there's any question, I will take from you before I get to paragraph, uh, paragraph two. Those whom God have predestinated unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet, so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. I hope you guys got to that last part last week. That there was no coercion in this whole business. It was God walking behind the scene making you willing. But that decision is who? It's us. It's you receiving Christ. It's you making that decision. But we are looking at, we are taking a step backward and looking at who is at work, who is making willing. So when God calls you, there is a renewal, there is a regeneration that happens in your mind. And then the, 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 the position of being hostile to God changes. And then you begin to like God, love him, and then reach out to him. Okay. And we are not made like robots drag. No, Lord, I don't want to be saved. God said, no, you must be saved. No, no, I don't want to be saved. No, you must be saved. And then God, and then the angels are dragging your, your Malian hair to church, to heaven. Say, no, 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 you must get to heaven. No, I want to go to hell. No, I must go to, you know. That's not what happened. God was not kicking you, dragging you like some of our children don't want to go to school and then you drag them into the school bus. No. When God comes upon you, he comes upon you gently, lovingly, motivatingly, so that you are made willing to accept Christ as your substitute. Is there anything confusing from paragraph one? that you want us to return back to? Okay, for some of you that understand, how many of you understand the five points, what you call the five points of grace? Or the five points five point of Calvinism? How many of you are familiar with it? Raise your hand. 
OK. Chapter 10 on effectual calling is dealing with what in those five points of Calvinism? Eh? OK. Uh, but first, the irresistible grace. Who agrees with him? Good. That's, see, you can see all of these things are intertwined. If you are dealing with one, if you look at our Sunday school, uh, Sunday morning, I think we are, we are already around that area. Are we? That's where we are. And the, these things, it, 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 isn't, it, it wasn't that we sat down as leaders and said, okay, let's plan so that when we are doing Tuesday Bible study, it latched, it latch, but no. It, has it happened like that before? Is as we are walking our way through the scripture, through everything, everything I just, there's a collocation. There is an alignment. There is a kind of agreement in what we teach. So that if you come to Sunday school in the morning, you come to Tuesday Bible study, and then everything is beginning to make sense. It is, it is meant to destroy your resistance, your natural resistance to truth. Even though you've been saved, there is still some resistance in your mind towards some of these things that are for your good. Let's move to paragraph two and just juice some truth from there. This effectual calling, or this effectual call of God. Okay, paragraph one is saying it is God that calls effectually. Okay, it's God that calls. And by qualifying that call effectual means there is ordinary call, or called general call. Okay, unless I touched that last week. Okay, so that is in contradistinction to effectual call is the nominal call. But the question also is, does God call nominally? No, is that people are exposed to his call. God is not active, he's not acting on them to bring them to salvation because they were none of his elect. So this effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone not from anything at all foreseen in man, nor from any power or agency in the creature, being wholly passive therein, being dead in sin and trespasses, until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He is thereby enabled to answer this call, and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it, and that by no less power than that which raised up Christ from the dead. One more thing. Now, you, you can see, even if I say nothing about this paragraph, this has been repeated again and again and again in our Sunday school, in our various meetings, that it is God who calls us, and he's calling it's not predicated, it's not on the ground of anything in us. So the word foreseen there is actually tackling what's false doctrine. Hmm? Yes, Arminianism or Sanipelagianism. But I say, yeah, we believe in election, we believe in predestination, but election, predestination is hangs on the fact that God foresees. God saw into the future, into 2,000 years, and saw that Fred would believe in him. God saw through 3,000 years and saw that uh, Brother Daniel would believe in him. 
on the basis of God now saw that you are going to behave well, he now made that choice before creation. So both classical Arminianism and classical Calvinism believe in election and predestination. Arminianism is saying God foresaw something because God is all-knowing and all-seeing. He's looking into the future, 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 future. And he's saying, that guy is going to be a good guy and he's going to choose me. And because he's going to choose me, Angel Marcos, write his name. I don't, know, I don't understand this thing. It's like I'm a politician. I'm, I'm Jagaban. And I know who is going to vote for me and who will not vote for me. I know who is going to support me and who will not support me. So before I even, and I also know that I will win the election. Are you following the story now? I know I'm going to win the election. And because I'm God, I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a God-like creature. I know I'm going to win the election and I know who is going to support me and who is going to support me. On the basis of my knowledge, I form my cabinet even before the election. Because I know the heart of all men, isn't it? Now, even as a pastor, if I know that if I bring Josh into membership, it's going to be a heretic. Will I not block him by all means? Will I not block him by all means? I'll, 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 I'll try all my best to, to discourage him. Okay? Uh, that's what Arminianism is saying. That God foresaw those who would choose him. That is in and of themselves unaided by grace. On that basis, in Aseke, put their name down in the book of life. Because the book of life is not something that there is a pencil. Okay. Oh, he became a believer today. Write his name. Then your name is written. How many of you have been to Otako before? And, say, and I say, say after me. Write my, uh, there's a phrase that will say, remove my name from the book of death and write my name in the book of life. And then the person says, now you have been saved. Congratulations. And then they shake your hands. So now you are a believer. And then start attending new uh, believers class. New believers class. Actually, there's no book called the book of death. <laughs> the book of hell. Hell no good register. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much. But the book of life is something, if, if, you, if you look at the script, it's not something that the day you become a believer, your name is written down in the book of life, and the day you sinned, your name is erased. And then you repent again, your name is written back into the book of life, and then you sin again. So tell me, how many of you in this church can even calculate just fairly enough your book of life counts? If you understand what the core body counts. Your book of life counts. How many times have your name been removed from the book of life by your own reckoning? And how many times do you think your name has been written? What if that angel is tired? Say, God, and even if you no, I don't, I don't write this name tired. No, no, write them again. Yeah? That's not what happened. Those who are being saved were the product of a, of, of, of a register that exists before the formation of the world. It's called the book of life. It is those whose name were written in the book of life. Let me know, let me know if you understand Einek very well. Yeah? So I don't want to spoil your taste. You know? It's on the basis of register that Einek goes to conduct election. And prior to the election, those registers are clean up. They are given up to all the political parties so that they know how many people are registered. Yeah. I mean, this, 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 
This, this is what is happening here. So it is not that God foresaw that Brother Felix is going to be a good guy and choose him, and therefore his name was written down in the book of life, and then Christ came for him, because both classical Arminianism and classical Calvinism believe that Christ came to die only for the elect. It's just that on the basis of the election now is his works. Arminianism is saying, Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism is saying, it is work performed by the individual that God see or foresaw, therefore he chose him. And we are saying, looking at the testimony of the scripture, that no, sir, no, nothing. After we fell in Adam, after we fell to work out our own salvation and merit eternal life in the Garden of Eden, we lost that opportunity. And there's nothing good in us any longer that can walk us back to salvation with God. So there are three things paragraph two wants us to learn is that effectual calling flows out of God and is not for anything seen in us. Positively stated, it is God free and special grace alone. And negatively stated, it's not from anything at all foreseen in man, nor from any power or agency in creature. Uh, Erasmus was dangling between one leg in Calvinism and one leg in Arminianism, trying to form a middle ground and say, yeah, that um, yes, we cannot really work ourselves to God, but we actually have the desire. We have a will. We have, we, we really want to like the way that is I'm here now and I have this desire. That's another low form of Arminianism. So, the, sorry, am I too fast for you? The high form of Arminianism is saying we can actually reach out to God. The low form of it is that, the, the decaffeinated form of it is that you really want to reach out to God and then the, the distance between you and God is so close and then grace came to assist. And Martin Luther said, what if that grace because if you're playing, if you're in a match of 7-0 and then the ball hits the bar, it's of no consequence. How many of you have counted, how many, uh, <laughs> yes. because as the ball is hitting, even if even the ball shakes the net, if it doesn't enter. Let's get to our study. Come back. We are here now, okay? Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Anyone can read? Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Mm -hmm. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling? not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Even if that scripture we read now, we can go home on this matter. But let's turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. 
Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Then Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5 and 8 and 9. That's a familiar passage. Okay? Let's jump down. Romans chapter 9, verse 11. Romans chapter 9, verse 11. Romans chapter 9, verse 11. Though they were not yet born and had not done, sorry, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Yeah, that Romans 9 is referring to who? Jacob and Esau. So, okay, how many of you are not familiar with Ephesians 2? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, 8 and 9. Who, who, who can just paraphrase it from the head? Okay, let me just assume. Okay, turn to Ephesians 2, verse 5. Verse 4 and 5. That's our whispering. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved. 8 and 9. For by grace we have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Okay, I think this is, it's on this basis you must preach to your Catholic neighbors. There is no works that you would do that can accumulate and God will look upon and say, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, try it. No, sir. It is completely an action of God, free grace. God was free when he was making this choice. Nothing outside of God was motivating him, pushing him, coercing him to make that choice. And not even your works. There's nothing you raise, and God looked upon it and said, well, I actually wanted to send him to hell, but he has tried. I don't want to impugn on my justice. No, it is God-fully grace. Is that point clear enough? So when someone else works, when you come to the salvation equation, work is ineffectual, it's useless. Secondly, in salvation, in effectual calling, we were completely passive. The confession said in the second point, being holy or being completely passive therein, being dead in sin and trespasses. How many of you have been to the mortuary before? To the morgue, if you want to make it more sweet. Been to the morgue, yeah. Now, there are some myths, if you watch a lot of Nigerian movies, or folk tales, that say dead people in the mortuary used to go buy kosi from across the road. 
they used to go buy groceries. So those who have grocery shop around hospitals where they are mortuary sometimes are suspects of those who come to buy their groceries. And sometimes you see mortuary attendants having cane, uh, whip to, to flog dead people. <laughs> sometimes you overhear mortuary attendants talking, you, 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 you. I kept you here yesterday. Why are you shaking? And then, and then you have, they are flogging them. See, those who work in the mortuary are a crazy. <laughs> that is happening here. That is a dead man walk out, buy the skit, and come back. It's happening here. It's here. It's called hallucination. How many of you have hallucinated before? Very few. Not so far mental illness. It's a, I think it's a form of a mental challenge. You can really see some, some reality that none can see. How many of you have seen the mad people before? Like crazy people, I mean, very crazy people. Like, I mean, complete, proper one, not those who are begging for money for cigarettes. The proper mad people. I mean, they are, they, are, they are having conversations, they are talking, they are doing stuff. But just, we are looking around, you can't see anything. If we were dead in sin and trespasses, dead people, passive, what can dead people do? What can they do? Measure a few things they can do. But Felix, what can the robot dead people do? <laughs> you, know, you know, we have dead people, you know, if you are from our own side, they can actually <laughs> walk. I mean, when I was young, they put this idea in my head. If you see that when people die and they want to transport their corpse from one village to another, in those days, some powerful voodoo priest will command the body to walk. And then you see men walking in group. One of them is a dead man, the dead person, because they can't carry him. So they'll command the dead person to walk. I, I was maybe 17, 18 years old when my grandfather's sister, younger sister died. She was quite old. And I was there because the, man, the woman loved me so much and I was there when they were preparing her. And the, and the, and the woman that was preparing her said, open your mouth, let me brush your mouth for you. And then she didn't open her mouth. Well, the woman was brushing the teeth. She said, okay, thank you, you open your mouth. I mean, I mean you didn't open her mouth. That was, that was it. Well, who am I to just challenge him and say, she didn't open her mouth? They said, open your mouth, I want to brush you. Well, a cousin died, a Muslim, and went to bury him, and uh, they asked the imam to come and prepare him. See, they sat him down, the dead person sat there still, and the man came. So the man was struggling to wear him uh, the clothes, his fine clothes for burial. So I was, and the man was telling him, see, 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 see. I want to dress you. And I brought your best of clothes. Please, please. Go. No, they are sit here. They are better when they are closer to me than when they are far from me. Yeah. <laughs> See? So, and the man was saying, eh. And because I, I stepped out to the room, I was in the parlor, and the man was telling the dead person, the dead man, saying, eh, no, I say, say, don't give me trouble. Now your clothes are won't wear for you. And he now said, hey, thank you, because the man has already cooperated and put his hand. Uh, uh, in the clothes. And my grandfather died. I was there. So the guy that was preparing him came out and said, no, that my grandfather said he need hot water to bath. Like, <laughs> the water <laughs> going to shower, he was cold. 
So we, we brought water and uh, put some little grass underneath the, the bowl. Just like a stack of match, they say the water is, is, is hot now. They took it back. They say, you brought your water now, it's hot. It's not hot. And then they shower, they, they give you a, a, the last shower, and then they dress him. Say, so all those things, eh? All those things are here. There are some that came from some part of Kogi State. If their person died in Kogi State today, the person who appeared to them here, we will come to their house. That is, if you have not heard that the person is already dead, you appear, you will eat. You probably have seen some skit on Facebook where, even not, isn't a skit also even on the proper news that a woman ran a restaurant somewhere in the south, southwest, it's only in the southwest. And the people have been eating and were there. Until one person that knew them said, no, these people died. This woman died with her children many years ago. And they were running a proper restaurant. And they are saying since that time, <laughs> the booker has closed. <laughs> I, don't know if you, I don't know if you think that may be true. Raise your hand. Don't be shy. How many of you think that that story might be true, African speak, Africanly speaking? That the woman that died in an accident is cooking her back. For some, running the, a thriving business. Yeah, Mr. Jimbo, what if I raise your hand? <laughs> you know, you are from that side. <laughs> Do you know some, there are some stories of dead people that even have another marriage somewhere in Lagos, having married and having children. And they have been buried somewhere in Ekotepene, but they are now in Lagos, raising children. See, the situation of our sinfulness before Christ came, the Bible said we were dead in sin. We were spiritually dead. Even though we were physically moving, we were dead in sins and trespasses. And dead people cannot bring themselves to do anything. They must be acted upon. The reason why they ask relatives of dead people to move out before they dress them and put them in the casket is that you don't want to see. Those guys in the mortuary, you don't want to see how they will break your person to put them to, to make their suit fit. All you could see is the front. They will dress the people, the back. Because the man is just there. Once you are dead, you are dead. So we were dead in sin and trespasses. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We're passive, completely passive. Not that we're kicking small, small. No, we're not kicking. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. A quick read after this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Yeah. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are fully to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8, verse 7. Romans 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it, it cannot. cannot. That, that it cannot is an absolute. You need to see it in Greek. 
is an emphatic, absolute statement. It cannot. So a natural person, an unregenerated person, cannot work him or herself towards God. It cannot. By nature, is hostile to God. And then finally, Ephesians 2 verse 5. That's where we read before. We are dead in sin and trespasses. Amen. So the first thing we will learn tonight is that the effectual calling of God to salvation is flows out of God's free grace. God was free in making that choice. In fact, in, in almost everything that God does, he's free. Because nothing outside God can overpower him to do what he never wants to do. God was free. And negatively stated is the fact that our salvation is not on the basis of any works done by us or any works foreseen by God to be done or to be performed in us. Secondly, we're passive completely. And then the last point of that the paragraph taught us to learn is that we're made alive by the Holy Spirit. The agency that picking us back was the Holy Spirit. Let's read some scriptures, Romans. Uh, let's read John chapter 6, verse 37. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. John chapter 5, verse 25. Let's start with John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. Another person. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. Yeah. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who is putting the spirit within these people? Who is putting the spirit there? Who is causing them to walk in this way? So there's a causality happening there, independent of the person. John chapter 5, verse 25. John chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians 1, verse 19 to 20. But John chapter 5, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Hmm. Yeah. That is the effectual calling. We're dead. And then Lazarus come forth, and then we came out. The last scripture is Ephesians 1, verse 19 to 20. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. 
And what is the Im immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the work of his great might, that he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, that's how we came to life. That's our spiritual birth. We're passive. And the analogy of new birth is the same thing with the natural birth. The Bible has been, uh, Bible is quite clear about that. When your, when your mom and dad were making you, if you still believe that they were the one that make you, <laughs> because not, not every one of you believe that your mom and dad, uh, when your dad and mo when that mom are waking you, how many of you were part of their contributions and say, Dad, I want to be made on a Sunday. Make sure my birthday falls on a Wednesday. How many of you are contributing that to that story? Dad, I don't want to be tall, though. I want to be average. Dad, I want to be very tall. Make sure, make sure the particulars sell. Myself, you know, pick me, pick me, you know. You know, some, some motivational speaker talks about how God made you. Say there was a race. There were 400 million something. And then they were rushing, rushing, and then you, you made it. And if you broke through in the womb, you break through here. It, it say, so I, see, I see, see, they say you, you that are sitting here, you defeated four, four million people. Other potential cell. And if you can fought four million, you are running with four million people in a canal and you won. How can these people here defeat you? People like smart, smart. And then they'll pump your head. But the issue is, is as it's with natural birth, you are not part of that. You came out here crying, ah, and then. People walked upon you, and then we are here today. Something. God gave birth to you by the Holy Spirit. And the confession said, it is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So when you're hearing people say, Romans 8 verse 11, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, they'll use King James, that same spirit will vitalize your mortal bodies. And then you are. The language of the scripture is this. It is that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead that came upon you, that same operations that quickened you and brought you out from darkness to light, from deadness to eternal life. And we can praise God for that. Any question? If anyone says, my salvation depends on my cooperation with God, that person is speaking heresy. It's possible that person is, is not a heretic. His head is not too, has not been brainwashed properly. But it's heresy, nevertheless. To say that you share in that to look at your father and your mother and say, don't be too proud of because you gave it to me. I was part of the arrangement. That is, your father will say, are you sure? And of course, you look at your mom. 
Are you sure I'm the father of... Okay, look at your child. Hmm? Those ones is their mother's children. But they want to have first class, do well. That's my daughter. Okay? It's heresy to share with God that which belongs to him exclusively. Salvation is of the Lord from the beginning to when? To the end. Any question? Or contribution? Any light you want to shed on these things? Pronounce Please pass the mic. If you would advise um, believers, both young and old, both well, in, in, in measurement of time, both mature and immature, yeah. what to do with the understanding of election and predestination as regards... Can you use the mic properly? Sorry. Yeah. If you have to advise believers yeah. of all sorts, yeah. um, both old and young, on what to do with the doctrine of election and predestination as regards salvation, or what will it be? Yes, because... I don't think I get... I, I, is that a question? Yes, a question I'm asking. How many of you understand the question? Even Deji is shaking his head, your friend. He understands the most. We are having that discussion, not to... <laughs> I, you cannot ask the question. Genuinely, I don't think I understand. Okay, yes. there, was a understand there was a statement that was made during Bible study that just triggered that thought. Um, people don't just, for fun, have that mindset of the Armenian who will say it's because God had foreseen. After all, it's possible God could see into the future. Yes, but... On what guard, or what will you advise, or what does the scripture do that, what does the scripture advise for for such a person not to stare towards that angle? Because it's possible that thought does exist. Mm -hmm. So that God foreseen that God because God can foresee that's what God did. And it's one is not the other. I understand perfectly. Yes. But what does the scripture advise, or what does the scripture say that will help a Christian guard that thought? So that he or she will not be led to be tempted as much as possible to imagine such, because it is wrong. Okay, who want to help? Smart. Okay. Um, good evening, brother. Good evening. So I mean, we read in in Romans where, so <clears throat> how how Paul writes Romans is he writes, I believe he writes and anticipates the questions of his reader and answers the question. That's how I see it. And then when we were talking about Jacob and Esau, he made it clear that it was not because of anything they had done. So if we were to say, okay, because God, had, God looks into the future and says that the man chooses him, then he chooses the man before the man chooses him. Why did he choose Jacob if they had not done anything? So we see portions like that that it's clear that God chooses not because of anything the person does. So that should help, that should guard us enough. The question also asked is this. It is also possible that God is making choices because God can actually see into the future, can't he? That's what we are saying. That's what we are talking about. Yes, I just let me frame it better. Okay, there's um, a hand here also, if you want to. Yeah. Um, how, so that Christians will not assume 
God's attributes, how it's being used, but to understand how God indeed does use his attributes in salvation. I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Ashet, do you want to still respond? There's a microphone there. There's a mic before you. Um, good evening. Good evening. Uh, I think the, the issue now will be how do we ground God's foreknowledge? Is it based on the fact that he looks into the future and see the outcomes of things, right? So if we say God knows the end from the beginning, how does he know the end from the beginning? Is it because he's looking into the future to see the end? Or is it because he himself has ordained all things and based on his ordination, he knows all things that will come to pass? So I think it's the second. God ordains everything that comes to pass. And it's on this ground that God knows the end from the beginning, not because he looks into the future to find out what will happen in the future. And when we see this idea of God's foreknowledge from this angle, we'll come to understand that it wouldn't make any sense to say God saw the person who believe and then he then chooses the person based on that. Because already all that will come to pass is based on God's ordination and his foreknowledge is grounded on that. Thank you. Any other person? You want to Okay. Okay. Before you get to your question, how many of you have gotten clarity from one or so you say, God is not like me. Me, if I have some four eyes, I can actually see some things that you guys cannot see. But maybe I see, I've never been to a prophetic church to say, oh, we can see coffin, we can see graves, we can see things. Now, this thing they are seeing, they are not part of the people digging the, the grave, they are not part of the the coffin thing, they are just seeing it. God is just sitting in heaven, and then you see you guys walking, doing your own thing. And then it's okay. Wow. These are the bad people. Is it how they do it? It's okay. Oh, see, see, Calabar people. So this thing they are saying about them is true. And God will just be stroking his white beard, you know? God has a long beard. You know, so you call one angel. Can you see what they are doing there in uh, in Lokoja? Ah. Oh, look at that woman that died the other time cooking food down there. You know, that's not what God is. That's not God just in that behind. It's not like detached from time, and it just because it's God have privilege to look into the future. The confession says, and consistent with the testimony of the Scripture, that everything that exists, everything. Nothing happens here without God's ordination. God ordains the ends from the beginning. So God is not carried along. And there is this new movement. I think it's also a resurrection of semi-Pelagianism. It's called open theism. And they are saying, God imposed upon himself a limitation. Can God not limit himself? That's what they are saying. That if God is sovereign, he can impose on himself limitations not to know the future. So that God wants to be surprised. So he, you, you are now, your actions teaches him. He is learning along the way with you. It's not because he couldn't have done all these things, but because he, he enjoyed. How many of you enjoy suspense, like on your birthday? Your brother just brought some, can, just, you know, you, 
your boyfriend, your husband just brought some. So how many of you like surprises? I don't. But how many of you like surprises? Yeah. <laughs> and there's some persons you can never surprise them. You can never surprise them. Yeah. You can never surprise them. Even if you surprise them, say, okay. Thank you. <sighs> you know? It happens several times on Nigerian Info. Every morning, people send a uh, phone number to call people uh, on their birthday. Hi. Then they just start to put their legs and that's like, I'm quite here. Yeah. Do you know who is this? Okay. You're, and then you read a very lovely, the husband has read a you know, Take time. Taking his time to make sure the message is read on, on radio. Not just radio, Nigerian Info. And then at last, the last, do you, Madam, do you know you're on live radio? And some will say, wow! And some will say, okay. <laughs> okay. And then the prisoner is like, uh -uh, is that all I need to, you know? You want to hear that? <laughs> so, open Thursday, we say that God, by an act of sovereignty, placed upon himself a limitation. Actually, this is found in Quran. This should be 14 surah, thereabouts. That when God created man, He placed on Himself a limitation. Not to do, of course, not to do, say not to do injustice. That even if you want to do injustice to oppress people by His power, that if God wants to really oppress people because of His power, His almightiness, the first limitation He placed upon Himself is not to commit injustice. So this idea that God placed a limitation upon himself, that he, he wants Dami to surprise him, and then he'll be surprised, indeed, is rubbish, it's anti-biblical. God ordains everything that comes to pass, including the fall, yet he's not the author of sin. Dear sister, I hope you're not a difficult question, eh? Make it simple, eh? I need to eat dinner. The mics is not working. Oh, thank God you agree with you. But. Yeah. Um, this is for our salvation. Because just as you said, God has ordained everything. So some people might say, not me, some people might say, now that if God has ordained everything, does that mean God already knows those who he wants to save and who he doesn't want to save? If that's the case, why do I, how do I, okay, if I'm not among, why do I bother if God has already chosen the people he wants? That's my question. And uh, maybe, no, so why are you <laughs> taking up? Uh, We've argued this to great length in my house. Uh, we just used to agree. In your to house, in this small house. <laughs> Actually, the first time I was taken to task, was a maybe a less than 10 year old girl in Zambia. I was teaching them and I taught them a lot of things in class and they didn't break, they will lay me. Those girls are terrorists. <laughs> They've read a lot of theology at the age of 10. They just came and said, ah, Pastor Joshua, you see, we are not elected. <laughs> we will not be saved, so we are not elected. Why do you bother? How will God hold me accountable? He didn't choose me. 
You see, Pastor Joshua, I didn't want to be saved. But now I realize I was never chosen. So, now, where that argument is coming from is from this assumption that all of us here were good people. Isn't it? We're all good people, perfect and nice people. And God came through this house. I mean, if you have children, okay. It's like I'm no longer pretty children. <laughs> okay, we were children before. Huh? Well, how do you feel if your father comes out from a journey after four children and you now buy a suite for two and nothing for the remaining two? What will happen? Even you adults, two of you are staying with, I don't know who is staying with who, stay with your brother or your brother stay with you. Stay with That's when your brother just came from farm and just brought a whole pizza and give it to you alone. I'm not my darling here. And then he's repeating it again and again. What will happen in that house? It's like, ah, what have I done? What the Bible is teaching us is this. Our destiny and what we justly deserve is destruction. We're all criminals. We're all unbelievers. Because of the sin of our federal head, his name is Adam. We are Adam's posterity. So we are by nature children of wrath. So if God chooses not to do anything after the fall, God is still well within his right. So all of us will live like Adam, like Esau, like, like all of them, and then we'll die, and then we'll be in hell. That's what we deserve. That God wants to show that he's a merciful God. He chose to rescue some from the fallen lot. Example. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, isn't it? Cain and Abel. Why is it that Abel understood the right sacrifice and Cain did not? And God chose Seth and not Cain. And God chose Abraham and not the rest of his brothers, and God chose Israel, and not Moab, or Egypt, or Palestine, and God chose David, and not his seven brothers. Had God not been selected from the beginning, and God chose this, and choose this, and choose that. In fact, there was a story in the Old Testament when a king took Sarah for a wife mistakenly and he has not touched her and the man and God came upon him and said you are a dead man he said, no. in the integrity of my heart have I not touched her and God said no I was the one that would hold you not to touch her God is an active participant in our lives and that's the argument of Romans 9 so when Pharaoh was doing gra 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 in the land of Egypt, God said, Pharaoh, I choose you to display stupidness so that my glory will be highlighted in what I will do with you. Prerogative of rights. So it's not, a, it's not an easy discussion to have with families, particularly those who are not yet saved. It's not an easy discussion. But for those who are Christian, it makes sense after a while, that the only reason why I'm saved is that God came for me. There's no way I could have on my own accord, say, hey, 
I pray, church is good. Let me start going to church. Okay, okay, there are people like that. But they are not saved. They will still go to hell from church straight to hell. But those who are genuinely saved can remember. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That particular day. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. When God came for you. The challenges with some Christians is that they can't even remember when they were saved. And many of them were not, were not actually saved. We were born into church. There have been good girls, good boys from the beginning. They've not really done anything plenty. That is bad. So they are reasoning in their own head because of that. They'll go to heaven. No. They've not made Christ their Lord and personal Savior. They'll still perish. So God is not unjust. Those who go to hell, that's what they deserve. Those who are saved are getting what they do not deserve. And it's called mercy and grace. So it humbles you as a Christian. And it's, it humbles to the point that you're not going to think, oh, look at this unelect people. No, because you don't even know who are elect or who are not elect. You want to reach out to them and share with them the love that has found you. You are still not sure. I've answered you. Was that a fair answer? Yes, Was that a fair trial? Yes. So you can go to bed on that. But is there anything that is eating you up? It's still on the fact that there is nothing I can do. Even if I come to church, like I can genuinely want to like be saved. And you cannot. You cannot want. The Bible said. The Bible said you are hostile in mind. Exactly. That's what. And I mean. then the fact that if an unbeliever genuinely want to be saved, that person will be saved. It means God has come upon you. That you want to be saved. And nobody wants to be saved and God will say no. No way. No way. It's just that what we are saying is that the thing that is scratching your body is outside of you. God has acted upon you. Now you want to be saved. Okay, he just made reference to a scripture where he said, where that we read this evening, and he said, and none shall be cast away. Yes. I think that actually gives a certain kind of clarity. Yes, yes. yes. If, you, if you really want to be saved, and say, God, save me. Ah, he has saved you. That cry comes out of your mouth, you are saved. Yes. Yes. And that will be tested in the due course of time. No? Whether it was, that, that was an emotional response. Or it will be tested with time. That's where trials start coming, and then we will check. And that's why church discipline come to play. And I say, ah, auntie, mm, mm, that baptism, mm, 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 cannot be baptized. This morning in our devotion, but I'm not going something. And I'm was skirting through the New Testament, of course, with his wife, hopefully. They are looking at the word immorality, particular sexual immorality. And in the list that Paul gives about sin in the New Testament, it's like sometimes some things drop out in Galatians, some things drop out in Ephesians, but it's like sexual morality is it's like a constant. How many of you have noticed that in the New Testament? It's like that's a constant. That, 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 is a, it's like, that is a measurement, that is a standard measurement for those who have been saved. So there are some key indicators that this man God has found him. You are no longer an unbeliever, both in their hearts and conduct. That change 
is not a contributor to your salvation. You have been saved. Therefore, you are manifesting a character that was never yours. And that cannot become the reason why God saved you. That cannot become the reason why. You are just showing. Like, hopefully, in the next year or two, my brother comes for you. And then we start seeing signs. And then we start seeing signs. And somebody is adding weight. Those signs and adding weight was not the reason for the marriage. Marriage is validated. Those signs are... Do you understand? But those signs are not the reason. Those signs come because marriage has happened. Do you understand? That's not a good analogy, but that's what I'm going to communicate. Is that clear now? So the good works that you are producing now cannot be the reason. Now I understand. God knew I was going to be a good girl. And I've met genuine, forget this. I've met Christians who are serious. I say, you know, I knew I was going to be saved because all through my university, I never cheated. I never did, I never did any. He said, I can't even remember in my Sunday school how I was so committed. I can remember in my secondary school where I never did anything. So some of you think that because you are a virgin at the age of 30, you are already close to the gate of heaven. There will be a lot of virgins in hell. Trust me. And there will be a lot of pastors in hell anyway. But if you are saved, will you not know it? You will know. Read the scripture. They are markers. They are indicators. And if, if these indicators are not yours, this study is helping you to now do a, a thorough check. Okay, I'm not saved yet. You should not think that if I tell pastor that I'm not saved, I'm already a member. He will get stroke. I will not get stroke. Trust me. This church will shake. <laughs> Nothing is new, brother. It is your eternal destiny that is at stake. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. If you know you are not yet saved, just cry to God to save you. And keep crying until the saving, until, until it becomes real, until, until you hear your prayers. You hear your prayers. And if you have been saved already, rejoice that he has saved you. Not because of your works, because he, he thought of you before you were formed. That is where I would like to stop tonight so we can go home. Amen. Amen. What is joy to be a Christian? Islam is saying, do work, 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 work. You walk. Five pillars of uh, Islam. Hinduism said, you are never going anywhere. You, it's a wheel. The wheel of samsara. You used to be a dog. You, become a, you, are, a good, you are a good dog. And then from a God now say, this is a good dog. Oh, it's not even God. <laughs> Incarnation said you are a good dog. And then you came back as a, as a person. Now you don't want to come back as a horse. Do a lot of good works. Be nice. Because the first time God, not God, the first time Incarnation brought you here, you were at the lower caste. You were from Kogi State. You were from... Uh, that if you are a good co-guide and you do a lot of good works, 
And don't, don't change your, your, don't try to even change your, your lot. Okay? You are born to be a Philly station attendant. That's what you should be doing. Be content and self-aware in hope that next time, next time you are coming to be born in Abiyokota. Hopefully in Obasanjo's house. Or maybe, and then you are in Obasanjo's that's upper middle, is it middle class? And then you are there. Be good until the next time you're going to be born in America. I, all of us wonder why. Or Canada, hopefully. And then, until you are tired, your good work becomes so much. And then you can do some sacrifices, and then you exit the cycle. You have actualized life. But this life, where are you? With who are you sharing this life with? Is in the void. That is Hinduism and Eastern mysticism. Oh, African tradition, Igala people, all these people. You, are, you, are, you die, you are going to join your ancestor. Your ancestor that depends on the feeding of the living. You have to drop crumbs for them to eat. So you are working hard to join your ancestors. And recently I've been educated how this thing works in African traditional religion. That how do you know, say you die, and then as you are opening the gate of the gate of the dead, they will check you out. If you, if you have committed taboos, particularly those who are buried in evil forests, no? Evil forests, you are not going anywhere. These are the spirits hanging around Sun City, making you to dream bad dream every night. It is only Christian faith that offer a logic and clear reasoning as to how God created man, man fell, and how God restored the relationship back to himself and gave us a hope for a happy ending. If you are a Christian, rejoice. Rejoice. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Trust me, you are a rich person. You are wealthy. You are brilliant if you are a Christian. Even if you have not been to any school. Father, Bless us tonight as we go home. Help us to reveal, help us to rejoice and to swim in the ocean of this reality of your love for us. Knowing that when we leave this life, we will not see destruction. What a joy to know you as a father. What a joy to have been known by you. Bless this evening, Father, and cause joy to well up in our soul because of this reality. And for those who are yet to be saved, those who are still questioning and wrestling their conscience against you, those who are hostile, those who are hypocrites, bring us to the point of salvation. Help us be merciful. Grant us repentance, saving faith. Help us to hear your voice. For if we hear your voice in our graves, we will wake up. Let the power that raised Christ from the dead come upon such people tonight. Let there be resurrection for us as we leave this place tonight. And for many of our relatives who are still dead in sin and trespasses across the country, oh God, be merciful. Some are dead and buried in Islam, in, 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 in African traditional religion and all kinds of worthless idols that can never save. Lord, if you have saved us, you can save anyone. 
because you are rich to all. I pray that as they call upon your name, as you send pastors and missionaries and evangelists to these communities, save your elect. Bring them home. You will do so because none of your elect will stay behind. Oh, we thank you so much for this reality. Some of us have nothing to eat tonight. Some of us are struggling in our finances, in our health. Some of us have bills that are piling up. Some of us are still reeling from the disappointment of recent elections and we are having no joy in our spirit. Lord, forgive us for thinking that politicians can solve our problem. Forgive us for having misplaced priorities and cause that we may return back to you and rejoice. Lord, supply our needs tonight, those who are seeking for help and cause that we may be saved and delivered from the hardship that has come upon us. Some have no light in their houses, cannot buy fuel for their generator, and the temperature is very hot. Lord, bless your people and cause that they may enjoy sleep tonight. Whatever, Lord, touch our government to be more responsible to the yearning. Some are sleeping at the filling station. Again, Lord, the heart of the king is in your hand over Palabuari and his men. Let them begin to act righteously because they are yours. And I pray that this country will not boil over. Grant us patience. Grant us endurance at this moment. Grant us maturity at this moment. And pray this season they pass over us. Bless us now as we depart from this house. And your grace and the communion of the Holy Spirit abide and dwell with us now and always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.